Meidinger. Welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast. It is wonderful to be here with you today. Today is really exciting. We are wrapping up the series I've been in all summer on the Apostle Paul. Paul, his journeys, his life, his Jesus. This is the 12th episode. We have been walking with the Apostle Paul even before he came to Christ, learning who he was prior to his meeting and believing in the Lord Jesus, and then walking on the road to Damascus with him as he met Jesus face to face, and then going with him into Arabia, going with him to Tarsus and to Antioch where he spent some hidden years we don't know a lot about, and then traveling with him on his three missionary journeys, seeing as he was arrested in Jerusalem and going to Caesarea in prison with him, and then going with him on his journey and his shipwreck to Rome. And now in this 12th episode, we are going to look specifically not at the Apostle Paul or his journeys, but we are going to look through his letters to see his Jesus. So in this episode today, this will be really special. I'm super excited about this. We are going to just look at the Jesus that Paul preached. So what I have done in preparation for today is I have gone through all of his letters and it's it was really hard to narrow it down, <laughs> but I have just picked out passages from each one of his letters that talk about Jesus and reveal Jesus to us. So I have picked out passages from every single letter where Paul really goes in depth and helps us understand who Jesus is. Some of these passages are a little bit long, some are a little bit shorter, uh, and so we're just going to go through. This podcast today will almost entirely be me just reading scripture, reading passages about Jesus that teach us who Jesus is and help us to know him better. At the very beginning of this podcast, I had laid out two scripture verses as like our thesis go-to statements from Paul. One of those was Acts chapter 20, verse 24, where he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the task that the Lord has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The other one that I had set before us, the other scripture that I set before us was from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, which again, this just totally gets me because Paul wrote Philippians closer to the end of his life, probably in 62 AD. And yet he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. I just find that phenomenal that even at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul, the heart cry, his heart cry was to know Christ, to know Christ more. Because we can always, always know Christ more. There will be no ending throughout all of eternity, throughout the thousands of days and years that we get to spend in the presence of Jesus, there will be no ending to getting to know him and who he is and the riches of his glory. There will be no end. And the Apostle Paul knew that. And even at the end of his life, he said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. So our time here today, going through all of Paul's letters, is an effort to know Christ. Because what we're going to do today is we're going to just look at passages where through the revelation that Jesus gave to Paul, we are going to see who Jesus is. Before we start, I'm going to remind us of something we've talked about several times throughout this podcast series. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul is writing to his friends throughout Galatia, and he reminds them that he received the gospel that he preaches by direct revelation from Jesus. He did not receive it from any other human beings. So I'll just read from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. 
He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not from human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So everything that Paul writes about Jesus comes to him directly from Jesus. Jesus is revealing himself to us through Paul's letters. As I go go through these passages about Jesus, I am going to go exactly in the order of the books, his letters in the New Testament. So the way that Paul's letters are ordered in the New Testament is not by chronology when he wrote them. Paul's letters in the New Testament are actually ordered by length. So the longest one is Romans, so that one is first. The shortest letter he wrote that we have is Philemon, so that one is last. So I'm literally going to just go in the order of how these passages come on the pages of scripture. I've chosen one or more from each of his letters, and we are going to start with Romans. In Romans, I'm going to start with a longer passage, followed by a shorter one. The longer passage is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. And I'll read in Jesus' name. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, death was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged to anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That is Romans 5 verses 1 through 21. 
you'll see in there, you probably heard in there, a pattern of how much more that is a common rhetorical technique of the day that Paul was using to just contrast something that was great with something that was far greater. How much more? So he said, since we've been justified by the blood of Jesus, how much more will we be saved through him? If we are reconciled through the death of his son, how much more will we be saved through his life? Another one said, for if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace overflow to the many? And then he also says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How much more? Because of that passage, I often think of God as the God of how much more. He is the God of how much more. Now I'm going to jump over to Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Paul was just saying that in Christ, those who he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. That was Romans 8, verse 30. And then when in verse 31, he says, What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to catch something in the middle of that, something that has become possibly my favorite verse in scripture, Romans 8.34, says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us understand what that is saying about the Lord Jesus Christ because of Jesus because he died for us and he took our condemnation nobody can condemn us nobody can condemn us Christ Jesus died and then Paul says more than that he was raised he conquered sin death and the devil and he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father above all authority and he is interceding. He is praying for us to God the Father at all times. Jesus lives to intercede for us. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing. It's amazing. Jesus was raised to life and is interceding for us. And no one can condemn us. And nothing in all of creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right, we're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just a short passage. He says to the people in Corinth, chapter 1, verses 30 through chapter 2, verse 2. It is because of him, God the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God 
that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I love that passage that when Paul traveled and did his ministry, the only wisdom that he claimed at all was Jesus Christ. Jesus alone is the wisdom that Paul claimed. And he says that Jesus, up above, he says that Jesus is our wisdom from God. Also, he is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Jesus is our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. And he is everything that we need to know. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm now going to jump over to the end of his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, for some beautiful truths about Jesus. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, although some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared also to me. Paul goes on to talk about how it is crucial and core to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So I'm jumping to verse 12 now. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Isn't that amazing? Christ has been raised from the dead. This is everything to us. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile and we are still living in our sins. But in fact, he has been raised from the dead and he will come again and he will destroy all other dominions, authorities, and powers of the evil one. He will reign and he will put all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Death will be destroyed forever and ever. I'm going to jump to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. We are going to jump over to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 18. The God of this age, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So death is at work in us, but life is at work with you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Jumping over to chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Dear friends, that is the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the great exchange. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, he had no sin, to be sin for us. He took on our sin. He became sin for us on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 says that all of our sin was in his body on the cross. He became sin for us so that in him, when we are in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness so that we can be reconciled to God the Father. Amen and amen.
in Paul's letter to his friends in Galatia, we read in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, something very similar to what we just read. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That is from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. Paul is quoting that. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing be given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3 verses 23 through chapter 4 verse 7. Paul writes more about how we come into Christ through faith. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, there's, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I want to explain something here that is used here and other places in Paul's letters. A phrase that he says when we are adopted into sonship. This is significant for us women as well because only in the Roman Empire, only men and males could be adopted to sonship and receive the rights of sonship. The full legal rights of, of adoption were only allotted ever to males. Paul is writing this letter, though, to men and women, and he has already said that in Christ Jesus, it does not matter if you're male or female. There's no difference between male and female in Christ. This includes women, and the reason that it's so important that it says that we receive adoption to sonship is because we know then as women as well that we have the full rights, the full rights of being a child of God. There is no difference between male and female. And for us in our culture today, we think, well, of course not. Of course there wouldn't be a difference. But this was revolutionary for 2,000 years ago. The women who would have been in church at the time that this letter was read, this would have been amazing to them because they, in, in the Roman Empire, they did not have the rights to adoption, the same as men did. But in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, we are one in Christ Jesus. There is no longer any difference between male and female. We are one in Christ Jesus, and we have the same value, and that we are given the same gifts, and we are heirs to eternity just the same. Jumping over to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, <laughs> if you're familiar with Paul's letter to the Ephesians, you know that the whole letter, I could read the entire letter out loud to you right now as a study on Jesus. I'm not going to read the whole letter. I did pick and choose and narrowed it down. It was hard. But this whole letter is just beautiful truths about 
the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to start with Ephesians reading chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I'm going to jump over to verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So when we believe in the Lord Jesus, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed unto salvation. Verses 17 through 23. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What that is saying (laughs) is it's saying that we receive the Holy Spirit and we are sealed in the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit inside of us gives us the power of the resurrection This power is the same power as God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. That is the power that is given to us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. We also learn in that that when Christ was raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly realms, he is seated far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name on earth that is invoked not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is over everything. So no matter what is coming against us, no matter matter what is attacking us, no matter what evil is coming toward us, Jesus is over everything. We can invoke the name of Jesus over every evil thing that comes against us. We speak the name of Jesus because Jesus' name is more powerful than anything else. And... When we are in Christ, we have within us the power of the resurrection. That is what he is saying there. I'm going to jump over to chapter 2. He starts by saying, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He goes on and explains that a little bit about what that means. And then in verse 4 he says, But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Notice this is saying this is past tense, like our salvation is so secure, our glorification in Christ is so secure that the scriptures write it as past tense and that God desires to show us his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness through Jesus. I'm going to read verses 12 and 14 now. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ when you were in your sin, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Jesus has made the two groups into one. Specifically here, the two groups are talking about Jews and Gentiles, which covers everybody in humanity. Either a person is either a Jew or they are a Gentile. Jesus, though, has made us one in his body. Through the cross, he has broken down all the walls of hostility and made us one body in Christ, which is the church. It says that he has created in himself one new humanity, that is the church, built on foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. He is our cornerstone upon which the church is built. And then to close out our time in Ephesians, I'm going to read a few more verses from chapter 3 about Jesus, the mystery of God, the, the great mystery of God hidden for ages past. Starting at verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged, because my sufferings are for you, which are your glory. Praise God. Praise God. This grace was given to Paul to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of of Christ, the boundless riches of Christ. Praise Jesus. Jumping over to his letter to the Philippians, we get one of Paul's most famous passages about Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is actually too much beauty and power in that passage for me to comment on it at all. Being in the very nature of God, Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing and took the very nature of a servant. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Praise Jesus. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. But whatever regains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen and amen. Jumping over to Paul's letter to the Colossians, we get another one of Paul's most famous writings about Jesus, one of his most descriptive writings about who Jesus is. Starting at verse 12, Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 12 through verse 23. We give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now 
He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Through Jesus, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through him, God was pleased to make peace with all things. God has reconciled all things in heaven and on earth to himself through the blood of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Paul writes more about the great mystery in Christ, that Christ is the great mystery of God, hidden for ages past. He writes more about this in Colossians. I'll read from chapter 1, verses 25, through chapter 2, verse 3. I have become the servant of this gospel by the mission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they might be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they might have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they might know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want to read that again. In order that they might know the mystery of God, namely Christ, he is the mystery of God, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of the treasure of the Godhead, all of the treasure of wisdom and knowledge in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are hidden in the Lord Jesus. And we get to spend all of eternity discovering the riches of Jesus. That is what seeking pearls is all about. We will be seeking pearls and treasures in Jesus for all of eternity. Now I'm going to jump down just a little bit and read from Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 through 15. This language is a little bit confusing, but it is helpful and important for us to understand what happens spiritually when we trust in Christ and his death on the cross for our sins. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Through the cross, Jesus canceled the charge of our debt. He took it away and nailed it to the cross. And he disarmed 
the enemy, the powers and authorities against us in the spiritual realms, the, the evil forces that are against us, he disarmed them. He overcame their power. He defeated them. Our enemy, the devil, is a defeated foe and he knows it. He knows his time is short and he will be fully defeated when Jesus returns. He is a defeated foe. I'm going to close our time in Colossians with chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is your life. He is your life. To his dear friends in Thessalonica, Paul writes about the return of Christ. We will read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Again, to his friends in Thessalonica, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, he wrote more about Jesus returning. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love of all of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you endure. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you're suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who have troubled you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angel. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony in, to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he might bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus might be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, he will absolutely destroy everything that is raised up against him, every evil in this world that grieves our hearts, every evil in this world that we wonder why God why why Jesus will destroy every single evil when he comes again let us take hope let us take hope in that dear friends in Paul's personal letter to Timothy we learn more about Jesus and the grace that Jesus gives Chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 12 to 17, Paul writes, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. 
Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that beautiful that through Paul, Christ Jesus displays his immense patience. Dear friend, if you feel like you need immense patience from God, I want to assure you that you have it. (laughs) We have a God who shows us immense patience. Immense patience. Take heart. Take heart. In the second chapter of 1 Timothy, Paul writes about God and about Jesus. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. There is one mediator between God and mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he writes more about our beautiful Jesus, our wonderful Jesus. He says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. One of the very last things that Paul ever wrote about Jesus was extremely personal. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew Jesus as an incredibly personal savior. Incredibly personal but the Lord came and stood beside me and gave me strength and he will rescue me from every evil attack and he will deliver me into his kingdom safely. To his dear friend Titus, Paul writes beautiful words about Jesus. Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 4, he says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. I love that through Jesus, God poured out generously the Holy Spirit. 
renewing us and giving us the spirit of rebirth through the Holy Spirit. He poured out the Holy Spirit generously upon us and within us through Jesus Christ. I'm going to close this podcast with the last sentence of Paul's letter to his dear friend Philemon. Philemon verse 25 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Dear friend, as we wrap up this 12-week journey about the Apostle Paul, Paul, his letters, his journeys, his Jesus, I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ might be with your spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.